0: Good morning. Welcome. Uh, Today's reading will be in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. I'll give you a second to get there. I think the words will be behind me. Psalm 63. My soul thirsts for you, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you and in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, as my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you, meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Psalm 163, 63, 1 through 8. Good morning, Living
1: Waters. Well, it, We think it's so cool that we get to be with you this morning my wife and I my wife Martha is with me this morning We have the privilege of serving with ABWE or as our West African brothers and sisters call us Abwe and uh, you can call us Abwe or ABWE and we'll answer to both Uh, and uh, it's our privilege to be here because ABWE, our entire family of a thousand missionaries and a staff in Harrisburg of over seventy, we love the Daggett family. You have a gift in that family, do you not? Yeah, you guys can say yes or clap or anything. <laughs> Josh, that was a little pathetic, you know. <laughs> um, you. You guys know the Daga family. They are a constant encouragement. I, I lead a team of, again, 1,000 missionaries in 70 different countries and uh, a staff of about 70 people in Harrisburg. We're a $50 million organization, so we're sending uh, money through our organization to the two hundred fifty million $50 million a year. And uh, I, while well, I get to, to run that, Josh is my boss. So pray for me, okay? Um, Josh and uh, the Daggett family have just so graciously served on our board. I want to thank you as a church for allowing Josh to serve on our board. He has been tremendously helpful. You need to know that he's a a personal encouragement to my wife and I, as well as our entire board and staff. And uh, our staff loves it when the Daggett family shows up uh, to, uh, to events, and he's been a keynote speaker at some of our larger events, and he's also just been uh, a pastor to us. And uh, the emotions that he shows you and loves you, he loves us as well. So we're so grateful uh, for the Daggett family and for you, Living Waters, allowing us to have him two or three times a year to, uh, to serve with us. When you think about all of the commands that Jesus gave to make disciples or to proclaim the gospel, there's something that occurs every time Jesus spoke. In Mark, when when Jesus said, go proclaim the gospel, he said, to every nation. In Luke, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, Jesus said that repentance and forgiveness should be preached in Jesus' name to all nations. The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of what class? All nations. God has given a mandate to the local church to not only do evangelism and discipleship here in this locality, but also from, what did he say in in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, living waters, we are your help as you obey the Great Commission. You're doing it locally here so well, and as you expand your reach out, many times it, it takes partners and, and, and people to come alongside of you to help send families like the, the Freericks and families like the Albrights who are, are headed to Lima, Peru. As you send those families out, ABWE is here to serve you. We don't send one missionary. We help you as a local church to send your missionaries. And so it's our delight to partner with you in that, to be underneath your authority and to be your partners in that. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, Psalm 63. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, if you've already turned there and if you've been there, I want you to think about this for a second. What do you do? when you feel like the entire world is against you. Have you ever felt that way? Like everybody's ganging up on you? Like the odds are stacked? Maybe it could be a a, a relationship or a situation in your family or at your work, or maybe you just feel like the government's out to get you with COVID masks and things. And um, sometimes it's easy to feel like the world is against you. We have one country that we have about 40 missionaries in. I won't tell you the name of the country because um, we are not officially in that country. So I can neither confirm nor deny we have 40 missionaries in this country. If you know, are you following me? Okay. In this country, our teammates cannot get in and out whenever they want to. When, When they're in, they're kind of in and uh, and we pull them out occasionally but it's very hard all of their phones are encrypted they can't text a friend they can't they can't say hi they can't send an emoji um, they can't do any. they can't send an email all their emails are read all of their text messages are monitored they can't tell any friends what they're doing people know that they're working internationally but that's all, they, they, can't, they can't come and, like we're live streaming right now, they can't come and, and be a part of a service with a live stream. As a matter of fact, when they come to our campus, we don't let people take pictures of them. Like you can't get a selfie with them. And they're constantly having to walk this line between not getting arrested where they're serving and not lying because we don't want them to lie either. They can't promote missions. They can't reach out to their family whenever they want to, nor tell anyone they're a missionary. And imagine this, Pastor Josh, they have to assume everyone that they're serving with everyone that they're pouring out their lives for. They've given their life for the gospel, to bring the gospel to this country, but they have to assume every single person they're discipling, working with, or have a relationship with will turn them in at any given moment. and they can't even talk to their teammates. Again, we've got 40 missionaries that work in this country. They can't even talk to each other unless we pull them out and send them to a third country that, uh, that we keep very secret and we take them completely off the grid. They don't bring their cell phones, they don't bring any computers, they don't bring anything. We pull them to a third country and we, and we keep them there and, uh, and allow them to interact with one another. And that's when their families get together. And when they're in country, when they're in the country that they serve in, I know that they feel, am I doing that? Sorry. Um, I know they feel like the world is against them. And I know that it gets heavy. Psalm 63 is for those times when you feel like the world is against you. The psalm begins, and if you're there, um, our reader read this this morning, but most people uh, skip this little part. There's a little nugget right at the very beginning before we get to verse 1. It's right above verse 1. It's this little section, this little sentence that says, A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, I don't know about you, but typically I skip over this sentence. I, 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 don't, I don't read that sentence. I just, I just kind of skim over it. But as I was studying this, the first question I asked myself was like, wait a minute. If David wrote this in the wilderness of Judah, when was David in the wilderness of Judah? I mean, A... And where was the wilderness of Judah? Well, the wilderness of Judah was not wilderness like you would think of, like around here, if you go out in the woods, there's beautiful trees and, and, and grassy, prairie grass, you know, blowing. And, and I mean, lately all the trees are blown down and all the grass is flat. But other than that, you know, it's, it's beautiful, right? Um, when he was in the wilderness of Judea, this, uh, this, this wilderness was a dry wilderness. It was a, a desert. So think, think absolute desert, okay? This, when the Bible talks about wilderness, that's what it's referring to. And when David was in this wilderness, it was actually after his third son, Absalom. This, and I, I don't know if you remember Absalom. Absalom was described as like one of the most handsome men you've ever seen, and he had long flowing hair. I can't picture him, but, uh, um, you know, he had beautiful hair, and he was a handsome guy. And uh, uh, what Absalom would do is Absalom would sit in the gate of the city, and when people would come with a problem to bring to the king, Absalom would head them off of the pass, and he'd say, so wait a minute, you've got a problem? Let, let me see if I can handle it. And Absalom would would butter them up, and he would flatter them, and he won the hearts of all of the people. And Absalom decided that he was not going to wait for the king to die. And he decided to take over the kingdom. And so after he had won the hearts of the uh, of, the, of all the people to be with him, he went and he set up a, an elaborate scheme to take over the kingdom. And David heard about the scheme and he began to flee because he didn't know what Absalom would do with him. And so the king packed up his stuff and, and uh, took some of his family members with him and began to flee out of Jerusalem. And as he's leaving Jerusalem, he's thinking about, this is my son. This is my own son. And he's walking up the Mount of Olives, we're told, and, and the Bible describes him, and he says David was barefoot, and he was weeping, and he had his head covered. And so he was he's walking, and he was fleeing from Jerusalem, and he's weeping over his son being against him, ganging up on him, throwing him out of his own job and his own kingdom, and, for, and ripping him from his own people. And so as David is heading up to the wilderness, it, it gets worse. Just when you think things are getting bad, they, they get worse and worse for David. And um, David's son is now his enemy, right, as he sets himself up against the kingdom of David. And as David is leaving the city bare feet... Eyes weeping, head covered, he comes across a man by the name of Shemiah. And Shemi was a descendant or a relative of Saul, who was David's enemy when he was early in life. And Shemmi decides that this is the perfect time for me to throw stones at the king. And so the king is walking by, and Shemi begins to th- hurl stones at him. And he even, threw, the Bible says, he even picked up dust and he threw dust at David and he cursed him out the entire time. I don't know what a good curse out sounds like in Hebrew. I've heard one in English before. Um, I don't know what it sounds like in Hebrew or whatever language Shemiah was speaking. But the whole time David is walking by, imagine how he's feeling as he's mourning his son Taking over his kingdom, and he's weeping, and he's again barefoot, and he's getting dust thrown in his face, and you can imagine the the tears running down his face with getting mud on his face and rocks hitting him. And at that point you've got to imagine David's at the low point of his life in the wilderness. But it gets worse. Because David's counselors, the men that he had worked with his entire life, connected with Absalom, and they came up with a scheme. And they said, "This would be a good time. You can't leave David in the wilderness. You've got to kill him." And so they come up with a plan to send twelve thousand men. To, to kill David and the, the people that were with him, the, the retinue that had followed him out into the wilderness. And they were going to send 12,000 men to kill him, to assassinate the king. And I think the knife that had to be stabbed into the back of David was in 2 Samuel 17:4 when after this advice was given to the king to send 12,000 men to assassinate the king um, to Absalom, the Bible says this, The advice of assassinating the king was right in the eyes of Absalom. And here's the knife. And all of the elders of Israel. All of the people that David had worked with, served with, went to battle with, poured his life out with, including his own son, decided it was a good thing to assassinate David. And all the people agreed to it. And it's at this moment when David has lost his job, has lost his people, has lost his home, has lost his family, he's lost his dignity, and his own son is trying to kill him, that David, the musician, decides to write a song. And this is Psalm 63. And listen to how he begins the song because these words mean so much more when you realize where he's at. And as a matter of fact, by the way, in 2 Samuel 17, 29, we're told as David is in the wilderness, again, tear-stained and having had dust and rocks thrown at him, the Bible tells us he was hungry and he was weary and he was thirsty. And so listen to Psalm 63, as David would write. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. When you picture what David was like at this moment, these words just bring so much, the, the, the picture is so much better. David is looking for, in his weariness, in his tiredness, in his betrayal, and in his loss, he's seeking earnestly to connect with the sovereign God of the universe. He deeply desires a deep and refreshing relationship with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords. And it's at times like these, and let me just say this, if you're not facing a time like David is now, there will be a point in your life where you face this. If you've been blessed up to this point to never have been betrayed or never been broken or lost your job or your family or a loved one or had some kind of conflict at work that just broke you, if you've not experienced that, brothers and sisters, let me warn you, that will happen in this fallen world. And it will be at that moment that you don't need a plastic version of Jesus. You will be longing for a deep connection with the Lord of lords and the King of kings who controls this universe and holds the the oceans in the palm of his hand. That is the God you will want to connect with. And the substitutes that, that this world offers you will not satisfy the thirst that you have for your God when you feel like the world is against you. And it's interesting to note that David will seek diligently for God. He will thirst for God. That has kind of his body and his soul and his mind longing for God. One of the things that I would ask you is this this morning, and this is, I think, worth asking while we're studying this passage. When you are discouraged or downcast, or lonely, do you seek after God, or do you settle for substitutes? I think one of the things that Satan and this world has become a master at is creating things that temporarily satisfy. Medication to dull the pain. Distractions to forget the pain. Entertainment to soothe the pain. And our world creates these temporary t- kind of things that just they look like they'll satisfy. They, they give the illusion that they'll create some sort of peace in your soul or that they'll somehow solve your problems. But men and women, Alcohol, pornography, entertainment, sports, they will not satisfy the longing of your soul for a relationship with the Creator. And David chose to let the path of the pain and the hurt and the betrayal and the sin of this world to drive him to look at the beautiful holiness and peacefulness of our Lord. Look at verse 2 because he goes on and, and what does he look to? So because he has this great desire to be in the presence and a relationship with the Lord, he looks to something. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Now, typically when we think of sanctuary, we think of a church building or something like that. But again, the Hebrew word for sanctuary has a It has an understanding of holiness. So it isn't so much David looking at a place where God would be residing. It's more of like a state of God being. He was looking for God in his holiness, in his beauty and splendor and glory. And he goes on, beholding God in your power and glory. The idea behind power here is the ability to defy an enemy. Again, it's a very rich Hebrew word. It's rich with meaning, and, but, but it's not power like, uh, you know, like I can lift a barbell. It's power like when all of the forces of darkness are thwarted against me, God has the power to overcome them. And he not only has this power in the beauty of his holiness in the sanctuary, but he has this glory as well. And the Hebrew word for glory, it literally means heavy or weighty. The idea would be if you had a bag of gold that was very heavy, it would be glorious, right? And uh, uh, you'd you do, you do well right now. And But the idea here that God has this power and this weightiness, this authority, this this gloriousness about him that is worth remembering when you have been betrayed. With the world against him, David needs the power and the glory of the Lord. He's not trusting in his flesh. He's not trusting in his kingly experience to get him out of a situation with Absalom. He's not trusting in his counselors, he's not trusting in horses or chariots, but his strength is in the power and the glory of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when you are defeated and downcast and set upon by your enemies, your hope is in not your ability to figure your way out of the situation, your hope and trust should be in the power and the glory of your God. When David was facing an enemy earlier in his life, in Psalm 18, when he was facing Saul. Remember Saul, King Saul was after David's life, right? David wrote this. Listen to another song that David wrote when he was being chased by enemies. He said this, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. You are my rock. You are my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, and my stronghold. Your temporary escape into entertainment will not help you long term. What you need is a rock and a fortress and a stronghold and a horn of salvation that you can stand and defy the enemies that are standing against you. And even as Job said, though they slay me, yet will I praise him. The apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what class? Paul didn't care whether he lived or died or his enemies killed him or not. For him, his rock and his fortress and his stronghold were eternal rocks, eternal strength, eternal stronghold. It didn't matter what his enemies did to him. David wasn't trusting that he could defeat Absalom in his own strength. He was trusting that, well, well, let's keep going on because he's trusting in something that the Lord has revealed to us in his character. Verse 3, he says this. David says, why is he looking to the Lord? Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. That song, My Lips Will Praise You that we sang comes from this passage, right? Why will our lips praise you? Because the steadfast love of the Lord is it's better than life. David is thirsting and seeking and his body is fainting for the Lord because he knows that the love of the Lord is better than whether or not he makes it through this situation. This word steadfast love, our English here doesn't help us much. Um, the word steadfast love is the Hebrew word, I want you to say it with me. We're gonna say it a couple times, but it's the Hebrew word chesed, okay? So I'm gonna say one, two, three, and when I say it, I want us to all say it together. You gotta to do the ch, okay, you gotta get it in there. If you're wearing a mask, you'll probably get some phlegm in there, but that's okay. All right, but chesed, ch, ch, ch okay, ready? One, two, three, chesed. Ch okay, now clean out your mask, okay, <laughs> you're, you're good. That Hebrew word, it's translated in this verse as steadfast love, and it means that the idea of steadfastness—that it doesn't fail—love um, as in this idea of this sacrificial giving of God, giving sacrificially in love. <clears throat> but other places in the Old Testament, it's translated. Let me give you some of the words that are translated because. You could replace steadfast love with any one of these words in this verse. It's translated with the word love, mercy, steadfast love, loving kindness, grace, favor, or compassion. And the word chesed doesn't really have an English equivalent. Like there's no word that I could just say it's this word because it has all of those words wrapped up into it. Chesed is similar to the idea of grace in that it describes a completely undeserved, extravagant act of kindness and generosity that flows from compassion. I know that's a lot. An extravagant act of kindness and generosity that flows from compassion. It is the chesed of God that caused him to send his son Jesus Christ in an extravagant act of graciousness and love and sacrifice out of his compassion for you needing a Savior. In your sinfulness, you could never stand before a holy God without redemption through the blood of a sacrifice that was perfect. And through an extravagant act of kindness and generosity, God sent his Son to redeem you and stand in your place and make you a move you from enemy and stranger and alien from God to a child of God. That's the beauty of this steadfast love. And this is what David is clinging to. This is what David is saying. Listen, I'm thirsting for you. I'm longing for you. I'm looking at your beauty and your power and your holiness and I love it because a part of that nature of who you are is that you love me. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, not because I stand before you as someone lovable, but you love me because it is in your character and your nature to be that way. That's something that you can trust in, that's something that you can turn to. It doesn't have to do with your performance. Don't temporarily satisfy yourself to think, well, well, I was good today. I behaved well today, so therefore God must love you more today than he did yesterday. Listen, that's not why God loves you. God doesn't love you because of your performance. He loves you because it's in his character and nature to love you. To be extravagantly generous out of compassion for you. And David says, that, that's better than life. That's really what I need. And brothers and sisters, that's really what we need as well. You don't need to have the world stacked against you to know that you need that kind of love. You don't need the world stacked against you to know that other versions of God or other versions of some plastic Jesus will not satisfy. You need a great, big, holy, strong, and powerful God who loves you as an expression of his nature and his character. I want to wrap up with this because there's there's two beautiful Hebrew words that I think will be important for us. Because I want you to have something to take with you from this psalm. And look at verse uh, 6. And David goes on to talk about the steadfast love. And, and it's, it's this steadfast love that will look at verse uh, uh, 5. It says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. In other words, it's this kind of love. It takes weary, dry thirstiness and turns it into fat satisfaction. Last night we were over at the Daggett's house and we had tres leches cake. Talk about fat satisfaction. <laughs> Couldn't get my coat on this morning. I mean, that tres leches was fatty goodness, the milk kind of running down your chin, you know. And, and, and David is saying, look, at understanding and having the steadfast love of the Lord turns dryness, and weeping, mud-coated tears into satisfaction and fatness. He says, "So this is what I'm going to do." And there, here's the two Hebrew words I want to give you, in verse, um, in verse six. He says, "I'm going to, I'm going to remember you upon my bed." He says, "He says, um, my lips will praise you." He's going to praise him when he remembers this. And God upon his bed, the word remember is one of the words. He says this, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. This is what I want to leave you with. Because like I said, if you're not facing what David is facing now, you, you will at some point in your life. And you're going to need some tools to take with you. And let me give you two tools. The first tool is remembrance. And the idea of remembering here has the idea of, of reciting or, um, or, or kind of quoting to yourself. It, it's, it's this, it's, um, it's uh, think of like uh, singing to yourself a song, right? Um, there, there's a song that I knew in, I learned in camp one time. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I don't know if that's the tune, but that's a, that's a, the words. But the idea of remembering is kind of singing to yourself. You ever catch yourself do the in the car? Maybe a good song comes on the radio. You're singing at the top of your lungs, and the guy next to you sees you. Right? What what are you doing? You're reciting to yourself. You're saying to yourself, and. The idea here is that david says when do i praise you when when is my heart filled and satisfied it's when in the night watches when things when i'm alone with god and all i have is the stars above me and i begin thinking about him and i begin reciting and remembering that the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end and when my enemies are behind me, I think to myself, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down between, and, and we recite these passages that mean so much, that remind us of the character and the nature of God. That's remembering. It's a, it's a vocal word in Hebrew. We think of remembering as, as kind of a mental thing. The Hebrews thought remembering was a, it was a vocal thing. It was something you did, you remember things with your mouth. The second word there is meditate. That's also a vocal word in Hebrew. It means to grumble or to mumble or to moan. It's actually an onomatopoeic word. It actually sounds kind of like a... That's a horrible de- depiction of it. But it's, it's like L-W-N. The, the Hebrew word is like, pronounced... L- like how would you do... And it sounds kind of like something that you would do in your throat. And that's the idea of meditation, is that you would, you would kind of groan to yourself and mutter to yourself, say something back to yourself. This would be more like preaching to yourself, though. And so remembering and meditating, and this, this is what I want to encourage you with and leave you with, Your God is not far from any one of us, the Scriptures tell us. And when we're defeated or when we feel like the world is against us, many times we're tempted to satisfy with with temporary things. And people of God, let me encourage you those things will not satisfy the bible says that they'll go down and there'll be a sweetness as it goes down the mouth and then it will enter your body and it will become like what the bible calls wormwood it was a, a poisonous substance it will be bitter and poisonous in your soul that's what temporary things will give you but the steadfast love of the lord never ceases and so When you are defeated and down, you cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And you remember to yourself, and yes, actually say it out loud, remember the steadfast love of the Lord, the Lord who is gracious and merciful, the Lord who sent his son Jesus Christ to die in your place, the ultimate act of extravagant generosity for your behalf. And when David was at the lowest point of his life, that's what he would mumble to himself. That's what he would turn to. And that's what you can turn to today. It's not a gimmick. It's an eternal mindset that we remind ourselves with every day. So, Father, I pray that you would help us as men and women of God, as people who live through really sinful, earthy situations. Father, that you would keep us from being tempted to satisfy these these pains and this thirstiness we feel, this dryness we feel with things that will not satisfy, but Father, that we would look to you strong and holy and powerful and we would cling to the generosity of your son, Jesus Christ, and turn to him and be satisfied like with fatness, and turn our thirst into refreshment. As we get to know your son, and lean into him powerfully as our Lord and as our Savior and as our King. In Jesus' name.